Well, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, do you want to turn to it or scroll down to it most commonly? Uh, For the younger generation, just so you know, the Bible does come in book form as well. Um, We're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. I've got the verses coming up on the the screen here. And um, just to sort of introduce it to you whilst you find your your place, um, I, I want to suggest to you that we live in unprecedented days where God is doing some amazing things amongst us. I mean, the measure of healings that we are seeing, I'm sure you are too, is quite remarkable, like nothing I've heard of in previous decades. To give you one example, we had uh, one lady come to us um, uh, one weekend. On the Thursday, she discovered um, a lump and had been for an ultrasound uh, that day, and uh, they definitely discovered a, a lump in her left breast and was in uh, real pain and discomfort with it. That Sunday morning, a word was given about someone with a pain just under their left armpit and that God wanted to come and bring healing. She goes forward to get prayed for. um, And then on the following Tuesday, I think she had private medical care. On the following Tuesday, uh, she went for a further test, a further scan. They spent 10 minutes trying to find it. No lump there at all. So we just see things like that happen. We're seeing other things happen. Uh, one of our teams went out to uh, Turkey and uh, prior to going, uh, one of the ladies on our team felt God say to her, I want you to collect up a whole load of rings, take some rings, some wedding rings with you. And so she asked friends and saw what she could get in terms of secondhand rings and took them and, and put them in her bag and just thought, well, OK, God, I don't know what that's all about, but I'm being obedient. Well, whilst they're out in Turkey, they start ministering uh, to some refugees. And she feels led to pray for this one sort of middle aged lady. And uh, in ministering to this lady and praying for her, she says, tell me a bit of her sto- your story. And this woman had fled Syria as a Christian, fled Syria and had had to leave everything. And the woman says to her with tears in her eyes, it was so bad that I even had to pawn my wedding ring to pay for the boat fare to get to safety. At which point this lady, Karen, puts her hand in her bag and says, the Lord wants to return to you what was lost. Choose a ring. And she takes it and places it with a sense of real dignity back on her finger. And God is doing things, you know, the big, powerful, miraculous stuff. And he's doing the little intimate things that shows that he knows us and loves us. And and I believe that we are inheriting the prayers that other generations have prayed. You know, we're we standing on the shoulders of their prayers, if you like, by some of the things that we are seeing. And I trust you are, too. And I really want to ride this wave for all it's worth. I, I really want to make the most of what God is doing, pouring out his spirit in these days. And so in, in order to do that, I want us to help help us to live out this lifestyle that he's called us to live, of generosity of spirit to everybody around us, of seeing the miraculous as an everyday thing. And in order to do that, it's going to require that we start doing some things, but more importantly, that we also stop doing some things. Do you know that your spiritual growth is as much about what you stop doing as what you start doing? So who of us here, you know, you need more things to do. You know, you're just a bit bored. Raise a hand in the air if you're a bit, bit, bit bored, need more stuff to do. Look around. Maybe one or two of us, possibly students, um, not pointed fingers, but there's some of us here. Raise a hand in the air if you could do it with a bit less to do. It's feeling a little bit overwhelmed. OK, definitely the majority of us there. My talk this morning is about how you can have less to do in your life. And the thing I want you to leave behind is anxiety. 
You know, Paul, when he writes to the church in Coloss, he says it's uh, spiritual growth and life is like clothing. And some clothes you want to take off. They're old clothes that belong to your old nature, old way of life, in order that you might then put on fresh, new, white robes. And some of the clothes we're going to take off this morning are to do with anxiety. So we leave that stuff behind because it no longer befits who we are as sons and daughters of the king. So will you read through with me Matthew chapter 6? I think this is from the NIV. Oh, no, I beg your pardon. This one is the ESV, but it all works. God, God, God wrote both. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6 from the, ES, from the ESV. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or as the NIV puts it, each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, you know, sometimes it only takes uh, one area of your body to go wrong to affect your whole life and your whole body. I don't know if you've ever perhaps got an ear infection or chest infection or something's got into your bloodstream. It can affect your whole body, can't it? You feel dreadful. Um, maybe it's even just as simple as a cut finger that gets infected. You're aware of it all the time. It throbs and it aches. About a year or so ago now, um, I was at the end of the garden and um, I was chasing a cat out of the bar- garden and there's a pile of bricks. There's a lot of rubble in my garden. A pile of bricks at the end of my garden and a brick dropped onto my big toe and landed just at the sort of root bed of the nail and I howled out um, in pain. And unfortunately, some of you might go queasy at this point, unfortunately it ruptured the blood vessels underneath the toenail so they all swelled up with bleeding underneath the toenail which put immense pressure on it I tell you I really knew about it all of the time it was incredibly painful and so I realized at that moment I have to do something and I had a choice Um, choice number one was that I could go to A&E and uh, I could get the medical professionals to take a look at it and try and sort it out or choice number two was that I could save time and go on YouTube and look for a solution myself. <laughs> I think instinctively you know which one I did, don't you? That's right. I went straight to, went straight to YouTube and uh, I had a look there. Apparently what you're meant to do is you're meant to heat up a red hot needle. Yeah? on the stove and you meant to poke it through your toe if anybody's interested I've got photos all right and you meant to poke it through your toe so this is what I duly did I got a pair of pliers heated up the end of the needle so it's absolutely glowing hot and then tried to push it through the toenail to then release out all of the blood okay some of you are so glad you came this morning aren't you Um, and that's what I tried to do the trouble was it was so incredibly painful that every time I tried to push down it just made the pain unbearable So I stood back for a moment and tried to rethink it. And I thought, perhaps instead of pushing something in, 
if I was able to drill through the toenail, then that would then relieve the pressure. Are you with me? Yeah? So, so Ali's a nurse. She's absolutely horrified at this. this moment. So I went, to, I went to YouTube, and sure enough, there was a video of somebody who had drilled through their toenail. He was in the States, I'm just saying. He's an American, and... And he drilled through his toenail. So I then remembered that just the previous birthday, my parents had bought me a brand new cordless drill. I took this as a sign um, that the Lord had provided and this was what I should do. So I took all the usual precautions. I, I got hold of the drill bit, the end of the drill bit, and I thought, I better sterilize this. So I heated it once again on the oven. And then I put it in the drill, and then I very cleverly remembered to take the drill off hammer drill setting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe you try this at home. That is an important step, let me say to you. And then, <laughs> then I sat myself on a chair, and I had my wife and my son either side, because my big fear was not drilling through, but that the pain might be so much that... I would pass out midway through doing it and then fall on top of the drill. So they, so they were there and then they drilled, then I drilled through and uh, sure enough I was able to release all of this blood out. Uh, ironically, bizarrely, uh, about a week later my toe got infected. I can't imagine why or how this happened. So I felt at this stage I should go along and see a medical professional, um, which I duly did and I told the nurse and what I'd done and she said some rude words that I won't repeat. <laughs> and I was able to get some antibiotics, and I was able to deal with the infection. Two things I learned uh, through this. <laughs> Number one, watching a YouTube clip doesn't really qualify you to do surgery on yourself. <laughs> and number two, it only takes one part of the body to make the whole body sick. One bit of infection makes the whole body sick. I mean, I felt dreadful. I was drained of energy. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't work. It began to dominate every waking moment of my life. I want to suggest to you this morning, it's the same way in our spiritual lives. That one area of infection affects the whole body. If unaddressed, anxiety will be like that infection that will dominate your whole life. The root of the word worry comes from a Germanic word, and it means to strangle. And if any of you have had to deal with worry in your life, you'll know that it's like a stranglehold that grips your life. And some of us will know what it is to deal with worry like that, that literally suffocates you. Or others of us will have family members who themselves are gripped with worry and it robs them of the enjoyment of life. But for me, in my own life, anxiety put, took on two forms. Um, firstly, there was a fear of poverty. That was what I was anxious about. I was anxious about not having enough. When I grew up, Parents had their own business that struggled from time to time. And so we had real difficulty. And uh, it meant that um, I've never wanted to be rich, but I've always wanted to have enough money in order to be safe. Does that make sense? And so uh, I was sort of affected by those teenage years when we really struggled as a family. So we, we coped brilliantly and uh, God always provided. Sometimes people would leave food on the doorstep and that kind of thing. My dad used to make some great invented meals. He used to make lentil surprise for us, where the surprise was it was mainly lentils. Um, but God always gave us enough. But somehow, worry kind of grips my heart. Uh, the second way that fear and anxiety dominated my life was it was a crushing anxiety over what people thought of me. Um, I felt to share the, the first time that I ever preached. 
because uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you see someone on uh, on their feet and you think, oh, wow, they, they seem so natural at that, they seem so, so confident. I'm sure that's very easy for them. Well, that hasn't been my journey or my story at all. Uh, so it's uh, at the King's Arms and we were renting a building that was perhaps maybe a third bigger than this, something like that. And we were we were a funky church. We would meet at night and we had stage lights. And I stood at the front there and I, I gave my uh, first ever preach. I was terrified. I hadn't wanted to do it. David Stroud, the leader of the church at that time, had been working on me for over a year to get me to deliver uh, this talk at an evening meeting. And I, I gave it. And uh, then the plan was that I would hand over the microphone to David at the end and he would do the time of prayer at the end and all the rest of it. And that I would hang around and help pray for people. Well, I gave my talk, handed the microphone to Dave and then walked out of the pool of light and just kept on walking. I mean, I, I walked out of the room. I walked out of the building. Uh, I left the school grounds where we were meeting and I went AWOL um, around the town the whole time thinking, what a mess. I'm sure there was a lot of heresy in there. Um, I, I'm going to have to leave and go to another church. I was beating myself up uh, until at the end. At half 11 uh, that night, I came back in the door and discovered one of my housemates, a guy called Martin, uh, Martin White, who's now in a church in Hansworth. Uh, he was waiting up for me and uh, he sat at the kitchen table and there on the kitchen table was a bottle of sherry uh, for us. We were sophisticated guys back then. And, and he sat there and he listened to me and he loved on me. But for me, the anxiety over what people thought almost crushed me entirely. It almost silenced me and did silence me for many years from speaking. I guess the question I want to ask you is, what price are you paying for the anxiety you live with? What's it costing you? What would you do if you weren't worried? What would you do if you weren't fearful? Because now, now that Jesus has come and all that he's done for us, anxiety is now a choice. That we can go with or not. It doesn't have to dominate our lives in the same way. But for many of us, anxiety costs us something. And we need to get a sense of what our lives would look like if it was worry free. For some of us, that's just even too big to imagine. So that's what it was for me. It was fear of poverty and it was fear of what people thought of me. It might be different for you. I spoke to one guy recently and prayed through with him. A professional man on the outside seemingly got it all together. Uh, but he was terrified of his daily commute to work and what might happen to him. So his anxiety was a fear of death of being involved in a train crash. I've talked to, talked to grown-up, independent men and women who are still dominated by anxiety over their parents' disapproval of them. What is it for you? Jesus, in this passage, just identifies two areas of potential anxiety, but I believe they're illustrative rather than exhaustive. They just give us an indication of different areas. And he makes two illustrations to make his point. He says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink. That's what the passage says. And don't worry about what you will wear. So when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching out in the countryside, uh, where basically people will be peasants working in the fields, essentially living a subsistence lifestyle. And so why does he give two illustrations for this? Uh, well, the passage in Luke 12, the parallel passage, mentions the ravens, which in the original Aramaic, original language, would have been a masculine word. And then he talks about the lilies of the field, which would have been a feminine word. The suggestion being that God is, uh, that Jesus is saying this applies to both men and women. In other words, anxiety is relevant to everybody, and no more so, I would suggest, than now in our society. Jesus is saying this is an issue that affects us all. And so he, Jesus addresses this anxiety over not having enough. That's the first thing. What you're going to eat, what, what's, what's, what you're going to wear, 
Are you going to have the things that you need? And Jesus wants to say your father is going to provide for you. Maybe think for a moment, what is it you need from God right now? Because your very fundamental needs, Jesus is going to provide for. The second fear, as well as provision that Jesus addresses, is the fear of the future. Um, He says this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For some of us, our anxiety is about what might happen. When it comes to our past and our issues of the past, we tend to have issues around shame and regret. So we tend to be ashamed or regretful of what we didn't do or what happened in the past. When it comes to the thinking about the future, our issues are very often around anxiety and fear. Many of us are gripped with anxiety about what might happen in the future. Maybe our job is under threat. Perhaps there's a family history of heart disease or cancer that troubles us. Maybe we get we've got health issues. Uh, and then there's barely a parent in the world that doesn't worry about what might happen to their children. And so often as parents, we think we're caring for our children when actually we're just worrying about them. And maybe for you this morning, a big step is going to be handing your children back to the Lord and saying, I'm going to be responsible for my children, but I'm not going to be over responsible for them any longer. I'm going to leave that anxiety about my children behind. The issue is how to stop worrying. For some of us, it will be about provision. For some of us, it'll be about the future. But the issue for every one of us is how do I stop this? One writer put it like this. He said, getting rid of worry is a bit like trying to throw away an old wheelie bin. He said, I keep leaving my old broken wheelie bin out for the bin men, but it's just the one thing that they won't take away. Do you know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? How do you get rid of this very difficult issue? Of course, one solution to financial worry and provision is to provide yourself with a safety net, you know, to have some savings, some money in, in the bank. Not that that is wrong, but the, it's the reliance on those resources that can be the issue. In the section right before, in verse 19, Jesus says that's no solution at all. That's the wrong place to store up your security. Jesus says a treasure stored up, it'll either rust, rut, uh, uh, rust, rot or die, if I can get my words out, before you use it. There's no security there. Wealth, health and popularity can be lost in a moment. Instead, Jesus is saying security is not to be found in this world. What we see around us is unpredictable and temporary. It, it might be that you're not a Christian here this morning, in which case I'd ask you, where's your security? And how secure is your security, if you know what I mean? Fortunately, Jesus says to each one of us, you no longer have to be anxious. It's because our welfare is no longer just dependent upon ourselves, means that we're no longer at the mercy of blind chance. But rather, we have a friend in high places, if I can put it that way. He says this in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Our security comes from our value to him. 1 Peter 5 talks about casting, literally throwing all of our cares onto Jesus. Why can you do that? Because he cares for you. Cast your cares onto him because he cares for you. We don't know the future, but we do know the one who holds the future. Uh, a few of you may have heard me uh, mention about a number of years ago now, about five or so years ago, when we had the chance to take uh, the family on a big trip, like holiday of a lifetime, really, uh, to the States. And what we decided to do was we were going to tour around in uh, a big motorhome, an RV. I think I've even got a photo of it up here. So this is outside. This thing was 35 feet long. 
Um, and uh, it was going to be this big, big trip for us. And naturally, in the lead up to this trip, we started talking to the children about it. And my three oldest clearly got the concept and, and got what was going on. But my youngest, Zachary, was only three years old at the time. You can see him in the photo there. He didn't really know what was going on. And uh, this was brought home to me about a month before we left uh, to go uh, to the States. And we went on a, just a day trip as a family to um, East Anglia. And um, we, were, we were, I think it was, we sat outside a, a coffee shop just having a Coke and that kind of thing with the kids. And uh, Zachary motioned to me and he sort of beckoned me in. And so I leaned my ear in and bless him. Zachary t- turned to me and said, Daddy, is this America? And I had to say, no, no, son, this is Norwich, you know, um, California, Norwich, you know, kind of some similarities. But no, this isn't America. And that incident really helped me to begin to see things through his eyes, because I, I realized this poor lad, bless him, he didn't he really didn't have a clue. He had no reference point. He was three months old the last time he'd been on an airplane. He, had, he didn't know where America was. And so we, then we went to America and we went in this 30 foot RV and uh, we landed in Los Angeles and then we drove around and we traveled from ca- through California, literally from bottom uh, to top. We stayed in dozens of different places. We eat outside, uh, we eat in restaurants, we eat in the RV, we stay in campsites, hotels parked up by the side of the road. We crossed bridges, tunnels, mountains, freeways. We traveled over two thousands miles. We go to churches, beaches, zoos, and theme parks. And the whole time, Zachary doesn't have a clue what is going on. He he doesn't know where we've been. He doesn't know where we're going. And he doesn't have a clue where he is right now. He has no idea of what's going on. And yet we have an absolute blast together as a family. Zachary loves every moment. How come? How are we able to travel thousands of miles and do all this stuff And Zachary doesn't even have a clue where he is. How is that possible? Well, the reason is we got Zachary to follow one simple rule, and it was this. The whole time, Zachary, stay close to mum and dad. The whole time, stay close to mum and dad. You see, Zachary didn't need to know what was going to happen in the future. He just needed to stay close to his father. Some of us place so much security in knowing the plan. When we're actually called to place our security in the one who knows the plan. You see, I don't know what's going to happen later on today, let alone tomorrow. But I do know the one who stands outside of time and cares for me. To to whom I'm extremely valuable, more precious than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field. Security doesn't come from knowing the plan. It comes from knowing the one who knows the plan. Verse 32 Jesus says the Gentiles go after all these things. People that don't know God rush after all these things, you know, clothes and provision and money and houses and barns and all the rest of it. But you're not to be like that because your father knows what you need. You see, I knew exactly what Zachary needed long before he was even aware of it. Some things to this day, like uh, visas to get into America. He had no idea about that and doesn't know about it to this day. But I sorted it out in advance because I knew what he would need for that trip. I knew what he would need for this adventure, and I provided it at the right time and in the right place. Let me ask you, where does your security come from? Does it come from having all the right information? Does it come from knowing your Bible well? Does it come from a savings account? Does it come from a pensions plan? Or does it come from the one who stands outside of time? I want to let you in on a secret. Um, I've received an expensive education. I was sent to a private school. Uh, I've got a degree and a postgraduate qualification. Uh, I have a number of 
years uh, experience in secular employment and I've been a full-time professional church pastor for the past 18 years. I've got all of that. I've got, you know, the qualifications, letters after my name, loads of experience, secular employment. And yet I still don't have a clue what I am doing. I am very much like Zachary. I'm just wandering around. I, I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't know what I'll be doing next month. I'm signed up to, to do some speaking in, in Scotland in April. I, I haven't got a clue what I'm going to say. I don't even know what it's about. I don't know what I am doing. Reassuring that that may be for all the people from King's Arms. I have no idea. But my plan is this, is I'm simply going to follow Jesus around. I'm a disciple of Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says to the disciples, come, follow me. Come, be with me, it says in Mark. He calls the disciples to be with him. So my plan is simply to be with him, to be childlike in my faith. Christians are followers of Jesus. And I want to be like Zachary just following Jesus around wherever he goes. Up until that trip, Zachary's idea of a good day was to go to the park and play in the sandpit. And then I took him to Disneyland. <laughs> it blew his mind. He ran around uh, hugging you know, Mickey Mouse and uh, hugging Donald Duck and loving every single moment of it. Why? Because my plans for his life were superior to his. <laughs> Is it possible that God's plan for your life is better than your plan? Is it just possible? We're called to live this wild, vibrant, wonderful adventure together, aren't we? And we're called to do it with him. Just another quick story. Um, When I was younger, I guess I was about 10 years old, something like that, I would um, help my dad fix the car. Uh, my dad is an incredibly practical man. He's an electrical engineer and um, he's a gas engineer as well. And he, he could do anything. And so I would go out and my helping my dad fix the car uh, actually meant holding the spanner for him. If I'm honest, very often it was the wrong spanner. Um, and uh, I, I remember once I actually knocked the bonnet on his head as I was trying to help him. I didn't actually help him that much. I think if I'm honest, I slowed the whole process down. But the point is, the activity was never about achievement. It was always about connection. It was always about doing something and being with him. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but Jesus is building the church, not you. This is his church. He's building the church, not you. And again, don't want to upset anybody, but he did okay at building the church before you came along. (laughs) He's got a little bit of experience and he will do okay long after you've gone. Jesus doesn't need you to do anything for him. He's totally self-sufficient in that way. But he does want you to do things with him. And there's a world of difference. So that, again, lifts off the anxiety. It means he's got all my needs covered. He's given me a meaningful calling. He's got jobs for me to do. Not that he needs me to do, but he wants to connect with me and engage with me on the journey. Paul says this in Acts 17, it's not like God served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He invites us to join us on this great big adventure, just like me with Zachary in the RV. And for every anxiety you have, you'll discover that Jesus predicted it and has covered that area long before you were even born. He's got everything that you need. And every time you get an anxiety to come up, you can trace it back and get to the point where God's, there's a promise of God that applies to that situation. Be a silly little example. It used to be, I've got quite an old car, uh, and it used to be that every time my car came up for an MOT, 
I put it into the garage and I will be really aware of it all day. Does anybody else like this? You know, I'm like, oh, what are they going to discover and how big is the bill going to be? And I realized that I was getting anxious every day, every day that the car went in for an MOT. And then I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to trace my anxiety back until I find a promise from God. So I did this. I said, I asked myself, well, why am I worried about the car MOT? Well, the answer to that is that it could cost more than the 2012 Olympics. You know, that's why I'm concerned about the bill, okay? Well, why am I worried about the massive bill? Well, it might be that we can't afford to repair the car and therefore we have to scrap it. Well, what would be bad about that? Why am I worried about scrapping the car? Well, that's because we then wouldn't have a car, wouldn't be able to buy another car, and we need a car to get the children to school. So in other words, I have a fundamental need for provision. That's why I'm worried. And then at that point, I go back to Matthew chapter six, where Jesus promises, I know what you need and I will give it to you. Every time you start to get twinges of anxiety, you can trace it back to a promise of God that is bedrock for your life. You know, so if it's the fear of loneliness, well, then you've got promises that he will never leave you, forsake you or abandon you. If it's issues around hope and the future, well, then you've got promises in Ephesians about the fact that he's, he's the one who stands out of time, has made all these enemies his footstool, that he sees the future. He sees the beginning and the end. You could read the book of Revelation and get to the end of the story and think, yay, we win. You know, you, you, you can, you've got promises in Scripture that apply to every one of your fundamental anxieties and worries. And I'm discovering that the love of the Father is focused on the point where I would most be tempted to be afraid. And once you realise that God has got everything covered, it changes everything. Every fundamental need you've got is provided for, just like Zachary on that trip. Even the needs that you're not aware that you have. We'll get to heaven and discover that God protected us from certain dangers and provided for us in certain ways that we were totally unaware of. And yet, like a loving father, he gives us every single thing that we need. So people, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Maybe just inhale for a moment and think to yourself, it's okay. He has it covered. He cares for me so I can cast every care that I've got onto him. Even cares for family members that I'm concerned about or sick relatives. I can cast those onto him because his heart of compassion for them is even bigger than mine. You see, the promise in verse 33 is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and you'll get everything you need as you need it. The promise is that on the journey, God will provide for you everything you need. And very often for many of us, we've got victories in God where we've seen him provide in remarkable ways. And they are there in order to help give us confidence, faith for the future. The same God who provided for us in the past is going to provide for us in the future. And then that releases us all of a sudden. To not have to worry and spend all the emotional energy being anxious about the future. Zachary didn't spend that way on his trip. He just he just lived for the moment and in the moment and delighted in all of it. That's the way that we are meant to live our lives. It means then that we don't have to focus so much on ourselves in the same way anymore. Because our future is secure and covered. In a minute, I want to come in for landing, but I just... I want to share one last story with you as, as I finish that sort of illustrates how we can now start worrying less about ourselves because it's all going to be OK and instead start living more and more for his kingdom. And I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Photo is going to come up on the screen. It's this lady here. Um, this is Debs Harris. She's a friend of mine and she was at the King's Arms um, a number of years ago. 
and uh, uh, she uh, she's a lovely uh, lady. She I guess she's like like five foot two and um, not very imposing uh, figure. Uh, but what's interesting about Debs is her role that she performs. She as you can see here, disaster management program manager for Asia and the Pacific region. Uh, she works for World Vision. Uh, which is the world's largest charity. I don't know if you know that, Christian charity. And uh, her and her team, there'd be about half a dozen of them, their job was that when a, um, a disaster happens, so like a tsunami um, or an earthquake or something like that, they are flown in as like the first responders into a disaster situation to go in and assess what is needed. And so they uh, live on the ground. As you can see, she's just living in tents here, very simply, um, surviving on sort of kind of minimal equipment and uh, purifying their own water and providing and living off ration packs, that kind of thing. Very simple kind of living. But they are there to suss out what is needed around and then let World Vision headquarters know. The reason I show you her is because if you were to go and see her in the middle of a disaster zone, you would see this little collection of tents. And from the outside, it wouldn't look that impressive. It wouldn't look like they could do terribly much. Just sort of half a dozen people living in very simple conditions. But the game changer with Debs and her team is that they have one crucial bit of equipment, and that's a satellite link-up. So what Debs does is she susses out what is needed and then phones through and emails through to World Vision headquarters to tell World Vision what resources are needed for that situation. You see, Debs on her own and her little team in this place seems like very little. But to those in suffering in the victims of the disaster, they have resources that are literally out of this world, mm. beyond their frame of reference. You know, literally billions of dollars worth of equipment and food and sanitation stuff and everything that is needed to, to then be dropped into this disaster situation. Why do I tell you that? Well, Good as it is to be with you guys and um, impressive as I, uh, impressed as I am by your sense of family and community, on one level, you could look around and you could think to yourself, this doesn't look like much. You know, what, what have we got in this room? What resources have we got? What abilities have we got? What financial uh, abilities do we have in this room? But I want to say to you this morning, you have resources that are out of this world. That you don't have a satellite link up, but rather you have a direct relationship to your heavenly father. And so the command comes to you to seek first his kingdom because God will provide for everything you need. So now you can live for those who are outside the walls of the church. I want to say to you, we are powerful people. Within one generation, first century believers literally ran amok amongst the most powerful empire the world has ever known. From Athens to Corinth, from Philippi to Ephesus, from Antioch and even Rome itself felt the impact of the sons of God. The Roman Empire was powerless to stop it. The resurrection marked the starting gun for the most incredible move of God. And something supernatural detonated that day. And instead of the effects dissipating, they've actually increased across the world and across generations. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It'll increase in Bedford and it'll increase in Solihull and beyond. It's an ever-increasing kingdom. Worry and anxiety will strangle the life out of you if you let it. But there's another way to live. To live knowing the Father understands just what you need 
and he'll give it to you just when you need it. And once we accept that, then we're free to live for him all out, no holes barred, holding nothing back, not having our dependency on savings or abilities or resources. And I want to suggest to you this morning, the choice is this. Carry on as you have been, dogged and troubled by anxiety in whatever different areas. Or say goodbye to that and say, instead, I'm going to live for your kingdom because you've got my every need covered. And I have resources that are out of this world to change my company, to change my extended family, to change my school, to change my college. I want to suggest to you this morning that you guys are powerful and can change this town and city beyond. Why don't I pray for us as we close? Is that all right? You've been sat very patiently for a while. Do you want to just stand to your feet? I'd love to just pray for you. Perhaps just you want to close your eyes. Sometimes that just helps concentrate as much as anything else. And the question I just want you to ponder on is this. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? What makes you anxious? Is it money? Is it having a sense of purpose? You're worried that you're now redundant in some way or other. Is it anxiety about will you ever find a job? Is it anxiety will you ever find a partner? What is it you're worried about? Because the father knows anyway. Why don't you just tell him in this moment? Tell him what you're worried about. Maybe it's exams coming up. Maybe it's wondering if you'll ever find your place, ever discover your gifts. Just tell him right now. And once you've begun to identify it, here's what I'd love you to do. In your mind's eye, I'd love you to throw it at God. It's a very active word that when it says in 1 Peter 5, cast your worries on him. It's literally chuck them at God. And in your mind's eye, I'd like you to see you, see you balling up those anxieties and then throwing them at God. Why should you do that? You should do it because he cares for you. Because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you to live that way any longer. So, Father, we refuse to worry and let anxiety dominate our lives again. Father, we say we want to leave that behind. We want to live free from being strangled by anxiety. And instead released into all that you've called us to do. Right now, instead, Father, would you come and give us a passion and a vision for your kingdom? Thank you, Father. You're going to give us everything we need today and you give us everything we need tomorrow and the day after. And Father, I pray instead, would we replace anxiety with a sense of purpose and passion and conviction? Father, I pray, would we live all out for your kingdom and all you've got for us? Thank you, Father.